Well, have you ever been compared to somebody else? My husband, Mark, and I are both babies of our family, and so we were often in elementary school compared and on compared to our older siblings, our older brother and sister. But luckily for me, when I was entering high school, my family moved to a different town so I could start high school fresh without anybody knowing the accomplishments of my brother and my sister. But did you ever catch yourself analyzing your life when thinking of someone else? He has it all together. She is more successful. Their house is beautiful. Their children are so well-behaved. Well, yes, we have done that. And you wouldn't be human if you didn't compare yourself to others from time to time. And there's the rub. If it is human nature to compare ourselves to others... Well, what's the big deal? Well, I think you can literally drive yourself crazy because you are always thinking about someone who's just more or someone who is better if you look hard enough. Mark Twain once said, comparison is the death of joy. Today in our gospel, Jesus starts talking about this generation, how they are like children playing in the marketplace. Then he compares himself with John. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. John, of course, is the forerunner. Of Jesus. He is a rough figure whose proclamation of the coming of the Messiah focuses especially on judgment and it provoked strong reactions. While Jesus, like John, announces the coming of the kingdom of heaven, his ministry does not resemble John's harsh and abusive. Um, almost abrasive, not abusive, but more abrasive one. But the response to both of these men seems to be the same. Whether it was John or Jesus calling out the good news, few had come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Even the cities in Galilee, these verses that we skipped in our gospel reading, Jesus talks about woe to these cities because they are unrepentant. They have not come to believe, even though Jesus spent a significant amount of time in those cities, teaching and healing. So Jesus compares those who are rejecting this proclamation to street children sitting in the marketplace and refusing to play each other's games. This generation that Jesus is referring to is not just his contemporaries, the Pharisees that are criticizing and rejecting, but all of those who are unrepentant, who are unfaithful, and all those who are just violently defying God. It's kind of like the same generation that mocked Noah's preparation for the flood or turned to idols after God delivered them out of slavery in Egypt or repeatedly pursued their own imperial ambitions in the face of prophetic warnings. One group of the children that Jesus talks about want to play wedding. 
but can't get the others to dance to their tune. The other wants to play funeral, but, but can't get the others to mourn with them. Just as some refuse to repent when challenged by John, so too they refuse to join in the celebration of Jesus. The children all just sit there hurling their bitter attacks against one another. They just don't listen to the other. There's no compromise. They just stay divided, criticizing and comparing which side is best. And all of this can be stressful, can be can be, we kind of feel like we're squeezed and caught in the middle of this divisiveness, feel frazzled and anxious and questioning, are we the ones being present, being punished and not present? Are we the ones that God is maybe comparing our actions to and we just don't live up to it? And I don't think I'm the only one that's stressed or frazzled or burdened, questioning why it feels like God is silent. It's like Laura's sleepless nights because she doesn't know what God is calling her to do or Dan cannot decide which is a better, more faithful path in life. Linda's world is shaken up because she just can't stop crying every night. Dave is so lost that he continually finds solace at the bottom of a bottle. Sarah is so angry at our political situation and their country that she just says, I'm so angry all the time that it's affecting my marriage and my family and my work. Matt's mother died unexpectedly in November and his dad died in May, and now he is just numb. Jill doesn't know if she'll ever be able to make ends meet. Charlie's dad's mind isn't able to recall any memories anymore, and Marlon has forgotten that he forgets, and his wife secretly feels abandoned and cries herself to sleep. Barb has fallen at home and now is too afraid to even go outside. Mike's body is falling apart. Brenda's marriage is failing. Doug no longer trusts anyone. Cindy feels forgotten. And Andy cannot see where any of this even matters. It's just not worth it anymore. It's just all a bunch of hooey, right? Does any of that sound familiar? These are like you. They're like me. And in those moments, we fail into the, we fall into the snare of thinking that these things exclude us from God's welcome or God's love. We just don't measure up. It's in these moments we become convinced that we aren't living up to God's expectations. In the midst of our stress and our anxieties and our fears, we become convinced that this is how our life will be from now on. Because there is no way we can hope to have hope in the midst of this despair. But we couldn't be more wrong. Precisely in those moments when we are feeling completely spun out, wrung out, pinched, stressed, frazzled, frayed, torn and tattered, exactly when we are filled with lament and sorrow and despair and hopelessness and sadness, just when we are feeling the most anxious and fearful and frightened, 
that is when Jesus, our Lord and Savior, looks upon us, opens his arms and embrace and welcomes us and reassures us with these words. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So give it to Jesus. Take a moment out of every day to be still and silent and let Jesus bear all your griefs and your cares and your insecurities. And remember this always. It is not the stress-free, unburdened, supposedly perfect you that Jesus redeems. It's the other one. The one you don't let anyone see. And that one Jesus knows and loves and forgives and redeems completely. Amen.